Our Father and our God, we pray that you would help us to live the reality of that song. We realize, Lord, that you are a God who gives, and because you're a sovereign God, you are the one that takes away as well. And the challenge for us is to live a life that blesses your name, regardless of the circumstances, because you are a good God and a sovereign God. And we know that that nothing happens outside of your permission. We realize, Lord, that we are in a struggle with evil that opposes you. But that, Lord, you, you are uh, the powerful one. And so, Lord, I pray that as difficult as that is, as easy as the song is to sing, it is more equally difficult to live. And yet, Father, that's your word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we embark upon this year together and the practical nature of, of the challenges that you're going to put before us from your word and life in general, I pray, Lord, that truly our lives would reflect you in increasing measure for Jesus' sake. Amen. When you came to your senses somewhere along the journey of your life and gave your heart over to Jesus Christ, you didn't just receive eternal life. As amazing and as wonderful as that is, you were adopted into a family, into a particular family. You were adopted into the family of God. And when you came into that family... When each of us came into that family, we had differing degrees of family resemblance. For the most part, when we came into the family of God, we had huge deficiencies spiritually. Huge deficiencies in terms of how we resembled the, being in the family of God, God our Father. To be the children of God in his family, Jesus Christ, to be brothers and sisters of Christ, to be the children of God. What does that look like to be in that family? We came in with all kinds of rough edges, minimal family resemblance. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he wrote a very familiar section of Scripture in the book of Romans that uh, I'm sure is, is one of the favorites that you turn to many times in Romans chapter 8, 28, 29, verse 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, to, be, to resemble the family. That people would look at you and say, there's a, there's a family resemblance to the living Christ when I look at you. And that he be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The Apostle Paul tells us, you are a project. Those verses mean that you are literally a project of God whereby he is transforming you into family likeness. 
taking off the spiritual rough edges of your life that you might increasingly look like you belong to the family of God. Slowly but surely, he works on us because the word of God says we are lacking. In the book of James in particular, it talks about we are lacking completeness in Christ. We are lacking that perfection. We are a project that's being transformed. Do you wish you trusted the Lord more? I know I do. Do you, do you wish that, do you, do you want to be a person of greater faith? I certainly do. I want to be a person of stronger faith. Do you have some spiritual rough edges in your life that, that drive you and, and those around you crazy? I know I do. And if you think you don't, ask the person who's sitting beside you this morning. Have you got anything spiritually in my life that kind of drives you crazy? Got any rough edges in my life that, that drive you crazy? Hannah's asking right now. And Dwayne, if you answer that question, it will condemn you. <laughs> if your wife asks you guys, plead the fifth. I don't know that we have that in Canada, but do it anyway. To your health. Do you long to grow up in your spirit? What would it take for you to become complete in Christ? Become perfect. There's a huge internal challenge and struggle that goes on in our lives whereby our behavior and our character struggles to meet up with our identity. We are Christians. And the day-to-day struggles in our behavior and character to look like that. Isn't it? I mean, mean, James is really practical. We're going to launch in here in a few seconds. James is incredibly practical about these realities. What you are in identity is what you're to look like. You're to look like what you is. That's, that's what the Word of God tells us. Now, now God's chosen, chosen approach to remedy the spiritual edges in your life, the rough edges, is, wait for it, drum roll. Tom's not there even this service. I thought he might be there. Is trials. Now, there should be a big sag in the car. He's oh, come on. You, you were good. You, you took this like men and women. Trials, the, the chosen remedy of God <clears throat> to work off those rough edges in your life is trials. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the word of God. James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this James is likely the brother of Jesus. In fact, there are a number of James in the Bible, a few of them, but uh, we can assume uh, it's from pretty good facts that, that this is J- Jesus' brother. And he was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He writes to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing to Jewish believers in the early brand new church, scattered all over the ancient world. <clears throat> Greetings. Now, here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Every time I read that, I don't want to read any further. I'm like, come on. I want to shut the book. That's how unspiritual I Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Stay with it. This is important stuff. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know, he's not talking to people who don't know about this. But every time they need to hear it again. I'm not talking to people who don't know about this. 
look around. I know there are trials and tests going on in your lives. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I wouldn't write that unless we were lacking. We're lacking something. We're lacking the, the spiritual richness that God wants us to have. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade even wa- away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of God. The challenging reality is that trials both challenge us to stay in the faith and strengthen our faith. Isn't that true? I mean, you bring trials and trouble in your life, and you're like, man, I don't know. I can keep on going. But at the same time, you read the Word of God, and you realize these trials, these troubles, these challenges are strengthening your faith. So I want to give you, quickly, three keys to cooperating. This is the key to cooperating with what God is doing to rid you of the rough edges of your life, to bring you to completeness, to bring you to that perfection that he's talking about. And it's all about attitude. You bring the attitude, God brings the work. It starts, by the way, with facing reality. You've got to face the reality that you have some issues in your life spiritually. So now that we've all done that, and all that a mental picture has come up in our minds about, oh yeah, I got some things. I got some stuff I got to work out with the Lord. I got some things that are not resembling the family of Christ. So it starts with facing that reality in your life. And then he says this, the first thing you have to do is decide to be joyful about trials. And, and, and by the way, the word order here is all joy Count it. Now, you know, we're just among friends here this morning, so we can be real honest with each other. Deacon Todd, is the first thing that leaps into your heart and your mind when a trouble comes your way joy? There's an honest man sitting here. It's not. Our first emotional reaction is not joy. But, but this is, this is a, a, a fashioned in a command. All joy, word order, no, word order. All joy, count it. Joy is put at the very front of the sentence. It's a decision you make to choose joy. You are not basing your situation on feelings. Your feelings are not going to be joy or happiness. It's a decision you make. You decide. You decide when trials... When you face trials, it says here in the Word of God, when you face trials, face trials of many kinds. In other words, when the world gets in your face, get happy. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about that guy or that lady 
tomorrow, Monday, in the office or the workplace or wherever you are at, and the world is in her or in him. The world, by the way, what I'm talking about is everything that's in opposition to all of the things of God. And they're on a collision course with your life. And they get in your face. And you got yourself a trial. You've got yourself a test. You've got yourself a trouble. It's then that James says, all joy count it. Various trials, I mean, it's not just people, it can be illnesses, it can be financial burden, there's any number of trials and tests that can come into our lives. But what I'm talking about, what he's talking about here is the things that God allows and does not prevent. Now, by the way, I'm not talking about sinfulness. I'm not talking about the, the trials and the troubles and the struggles that come your way because you choose sin. If you choose sin, you are choosing to suffer. Now, this is about the stuff when you are walking with God, growing with God, seeking to serve God, and uh, it just shows up in your face. That's what I'm talking about. That's what James is talking about here. He's talking about uh, the stuff that God allows as a sovereign God to come into your life. Now, by the way, keep in mind, we live in the same world that crucified, executed its creator. And that spirit, that thinking has not gone away. That's the world we live in, an enemy of Jesus Christ. And it will get in your face. And the reason we are to count it all joy is not because it's going to feel so wonderful, not because it's going to to make your day so much easier, but rather because trouble is the process God uses to make real faith stronger. The various trials he brings into our life work on the variety of areas whereby we are not Christ-like. And, and you, have to get it to, you have to get it into your heart that the goal of your life is that I, I want to have a family resemblance. I want to be like Christ. I want to be more Christ-like. And so if it's going to require these tests and these trials and these struggles and this trouble that God is going to allow to come into my life and not prevent, then, then I'm going to cooperate with it. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to deem it joy. I'm going to count it joy, not because it feels good, but because it's going to do some great work in my life. Now, by the way, you may be saying, I don't think I'm capable of doing this. Well, you're being honest again because you're not. That's why he says, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. You see, the second key is, is found right here. Instead of reacting or griping or groaning or moaning, ask for wisdom. This trial, this trouble, this struggle shows up in your face Monday morning, tomorrow. Get ready. It's coming. What he's saying here is is ask for wisdom. When the trouble swamps you and you don't know what to do or how to face it, ask God. Because see, the point is here, the trials that God is allowing to come into your life are not for the purpose of enabling you to become a stronger person with inner toughness. That's self-help stuff. That's what Dr. Oz will try to teach you. That's not what Dr. James is trying to teach you here. He's not trying to say that that all of this 
tough stuff that comes into your life, as you bear up under it, you're going to become a really stronger person. You're just going to be a stronger character. You're going to be able to rely on the inner toughness that you're developing. That's not it at all. That's not why God is allowing these trials and struggles and troubles come into your life. He wants you to look to Him, to learn to trust Him. That's why He says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Instead of reacting and griping. He wants to help to convince us. That we can't succeed over the sheer creative variety of the trials. I can tell you for some of you tomorrow morning there's going to be a trial or a test or a struggle. that's going to pop up in front of you that is going to be so creative. You're going to be like, I never ever could have thought of that one. God wants to to, to enable you to bear up under anything regardless of how creative the trial is. He wants to wean us from doing life our way so that we will do it his way. And one of the great lacks is spiritual wisdom, which comes from above. What's wisdom? How do you define wisdom? Wisdom is practicing righteousness in daily living. It's simply living out what you know to be true. Wisdom is is practicing the right ways that are given us in the scriptures in daily life. And in this case, uh, the wisdom that he's talking about here uh, will enable you to integrate this trial into your life so that you will be able to to, to experience and, 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 and welcome the will of God that will move you ahead spiritually. It's to be able to say, Lord, I don't understand this trial. I don't understand this struggle. I don't understand what you're doing in my life. I don't understand how I'm going to deal with this, but I know you do. So grant me the wisdom to understand how I can integrate this trial in my life, practice righteousness in, re- in respect to it, and, and benefit from the spiritual growth that you want from me. It doesn't come automatically. You weren't born with this. You have to ask for it. That's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, he or she should ask. So it starts by asking. You won't get this unless you ask. And by the way, you need to know that the person you're asking is the living God. It says here about him. He gives generously when you ask him without finding fault. He is a generous God. He gives to all. He he doesn't run out of resources of wisdom. He doesn't say, no, I'm sorry. You know what? I've run out today. Like there have been so many Monday trials and and trials and struggles that I don't have anything left. Come back to me on Tuesday. I might have something for you. No, he's, he's totally generous and he gives to all. But not only that, it says without finding fault. He's totally magnanimous. I mentioned to the first group this morning that, that uh, I'm a bad father in lots of ways, but one of the ways is, is in this particular reality. And, and maybe some of you can, can identify with this. When the kids come asking me for stuff, I generally give them a lecture first. 
I'm like, what in the world? Why did you get yourself in this thing in the first place? You remember I have told you over and over again so many times, and here you are asking me again, and yeah, okay, here have it. It's like, I could have benefited from the thing without the lecture, Dad. You want to know the good thing? God doesn't lecture you. He's not going to say to you, you know what? You have come to me and asked me for wisdom every day last week. I am so sick and tired of giving you wisdom. I'm not going to give you anything more. I gave you wisdom yesterday. And you didn't act upon it very well. And so, you know what? I'm not giving you wisdom today. I'm going to hold out on you. God doesn't do this. He doesn't find fault. He doesn't lecture us. What an amazing God he is. Any other fathers like that? Am I alone in this? Am I that wicked? Yeah, you're on your own, Rick. I feel sorry for your kids. Dads, we got to be more like God. Generous and lecture-free. I'm not talking about no teaching or anything like that, but lectures and teaching are different things, aren't they? Then it says, not only do you ask, but you got to believe. Right? See what it says? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. It gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must, not, he must believe. Now, this belief is, of course, that you've got to believe that God is trustworthy. You've got to believe that when you ask him in the context of trouble, troubles and trials, wisdom in general, but when you ask him, you've got to believe that he's trustworthy, that, that his ways are best. I mean, if you don't believe that, don't even go and ask him. Don't bother asking him unless you believe that he's trustworthy, that his ways are best. And you've got to believe that he stays in character. That he's always a good God. You may be in the worst situation of your life. This trouble and trial may be a horribly distressing thing. But God doesn't change. Your circumstances make no difference in terms of God's character. He's still a loving God. He's still a gracious God. He's still a faithful God. He's still a caring God. He still absolutely is crazy about you. Nothing changes about that. You've got to believe that. And if, as if that wasn't enough, ask, believe, he says, you can't doubt. No doubting. Now, what is this doubting? Exactly. Some people say, well, you know, you know, if you believe hard enough that God can and that God will, you'll get all that your little heart desires. No, that's not the doubt thing we're talking about here. It's not, it's not enough to say, I believe that God can and that God will. Demons believe that. Demons know what God can do. And they know God will do great things. The difference about the issue here in doubt is that I can't come to God and ask for wisdom and claim that I'm trusting he's going to give the best answer, and then turn around and say, sorry, I prefer my idea and my preference. That's doubting. That's doubting that, that what God wants for you is best. That's the doubting he's talking about here. You can't be conflicted in this. That's why he says that, that makes you a double-minded person. You come to the Lord for counsel, but you completely disregard it and choose your preference anyway. 
That makes you a double-minded person. Oh, yes, I follow the teachings of Christ. I follow hard after the, after the living God. I seek his counsel for wisdom. Do you ever take any of his wisdom? Oh, a little bit of it. You're a double-minded person. You've got a loyalty problem. You've got a conflict in your life. In fact, he goes on to say, not only are you double-minded, but you're unstable in all your ways. You don't want to be around a person who sort of dabbles in God. Yeah, I take a little bit of God and a lot of myself. God's word is not a smorgasbord. His wisdom's not a smorgasbord. It's like take it or take it. The, the word here, unstable, is a picture of water in an ocean. Not driving water, like not a stream of water, but rather water that is just bobbing up and down, restless waves, accomplishing nothing but just rocking the boat of your life. Hey, look at me. I'm rocking all over the place. I'm unstable. That's what it's talking about here. For those who doubt. You must ask. You must believe. You must not doubt. And third key is related to the whole issue of your social standing. Whether or not you're rich or you're poor. You've got to make sure that you prevent your social standing from getting in the way of your spiritual maturing, because it can. There are growth inhibitors whether you're rich or you're poor. Poverty can get in the way of your growth spiritually. Poverty can get in the way of strengthening your faith. Keep in mind that James was, for the most part, writing to poor Christians. It wasn't good for your career path to become a Christian in the first century. In fact, you likely lost your job. You likely were on the run. You were being persecuted. You lost your economic uh, uh, um, resources. And, and truthfully, this word is, is, is proclaimed all over the world right now. There are so many people. For, for, in fact, the majority of people who follow Jesus Christ are poor. Poverty can be a trial that gets in the way of your spiritual growth. But so can riches. For the most part, you know we fall into the category of rich Christians by world standards. Riches can get in the way of your spiritual growth, can get in the way of your faith because you start to trust in your riches and your material things and you stop trusting in God. So he writes this, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. He says, look, if you're poor... Trials are helping you to get rich in what really counts in life. I I mean, rejoice in that, James says. Boast that you can value and have in great measure what God values. You are growing in your spiritual health and life. You are becoming more and more like Christ. The family resemblance is amazing. Your poverty is leading you to Jesus Christ. You should boast in that. You are rich in what really matters in life. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says that, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Don't let your poverty, he says, become a trial, a a barrier to your faith. And then he says to rich people, But to the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, In other words, when a trial or a struggle comes into your life, it tends to humble you 
you know, you realize, wow, I'm not all that great shakes that I thought I was. And all of my stuff and all of my resources is not really taken care of. This amazing uh, or uh, huge trial and trouble and struggle. creates a beautiful picture here that helps to drive home the point. He says to the rich people, remember this, the same sun that blessed the flowers in the spring is the sun that scorches them to death in the summer. So I, I don't, he said, I don't know what you're trusting in, but, but whatever this material thing that you're trusting in, know this, that while it might be blessing you right now, the same thing is going to take you down. You might find yourself dead in the middle of a business trip. You know the stock market that's blessing you so much now? When it crashes two months from now, where are you going to be? Not a prophecy. All the financial planners are all wringing their hands saying, Oh no, man, we're going to have a rush on our money after church. I don't know anything. So be thankful, he says, if you're rich when trials come your way because they cause you to invest in what really matters. Invest in your heart with God. Finally, verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Why? Because when he or she has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Above all, he says, go for the highest award that a human being, it's possible for a human being to get. That's not the order of Canada. It's the crown of life. What everybody is after. Abundant life, to live forever. What they're willing to pay a fortune for. You get because you've stood the test. Why? Because it is proven that you actually have genuine faith. Your faith is strong. It's real. And your faith that is strong and real lives, leads you to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. That's what it says here. To those who love him, he awards the crown of life. Think of it. The king of universe is going to present you with that award. The award for spiritual tenacity, to sticking it out with God's strength, is life. Choose it. That's why Jesus died. That we might have life and have it abundantly. So now, as we think on these things, We'll take some time visually to celebrate what the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to do and sacrifice so that we could grow stronger in trials and become people who resemble the family of Christ. So I would encourage you to stand with me as we pray. Our Father and our God... We stand in your presence at the beginning of another year with great hopes and encouragement 
that you, by your strength and grace, will enable us to withstand the trials and outrageous struggles that will come our way, that we will count it all joy, knowing that you are working in us, that we will call out to you for wisdom, that we might integrate the trial into our lives as we apply the word of God, the will of God. And that, Father, whether we are rich or poor, we will realize that these trials and struggles enable us to turn our attention toward investing in what really matters, life, life in Christ, and all that he brings. Now as we gather around the table of our Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, that you will cause us to be very mindful of the cost of this for our lives. For asking in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in the word of God that this cup represents the new covenant. And that new covenant is the fact that we are forgiven and free. Isn't that an amazing thing? Forgiven and free. When you partake of this in a few moments, let all of that reality sink in of being forgiven and free. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He could come any day. He could come in the year 2011. So let's make sure we busy ourselves in the things of God and cooperate with the work God wants to do to bring us to completion, to get rid of those rough edges in our lives. To bring us to where he wants us to be. Count it all joy. And ask God to help you. So you can. Father, I pray that you would take your word. That is powerful and strong. And work it into our hearts and our lives. That we might be doers of the word of God. And not hearers only. For Jesus sake.